He has risen. Amen. It was preparation day, that is today before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body and wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of a rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Uh, we're going to look at that passage we just heard read, Mark, Mark chapter 16. And uh, opportunity just to think through the resurrection of Jesus and its implications. So as we uh, look at it together, let me pray that God will not just help us understand some words on a page, but that these words will actually have impact on our minds and hearts. So let me let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who uh, speaks to us. You're a God who uh, loves us so much that you sent your Son into this world not only to die for us, but to raise him from the dead. And Father, we ask that you help us to understand the implications of that as we reflect on this passage right now. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In April uh, 2017, Coca-Cola launched a new product. It was Coca-Cola Helium. Uh, It was carbonated Coke with a small shot of helium. And the idea was that it would actually add extra fun at social occasions while still keeping the great taste of Coca-Cola Classic. So the idea was when it was consumed, uh, the drinker's voice would actually take on a whole new pitch as a result of drinking the Coke. In the, uh, the words of Kate Miller, uh, Coke's marketing manager, she, she put it this way. We're delighted to be launching Coca-Cola Helium this year. It really has inflated our range of drinks and lifts the fans' spirits. 
Uh, popularity of Coca-Cola continues to balloon, and this new variant is said to be a flyaway success. Now, in case uh, you're wondering what happened, this was actually this product was launched on April 1st, 2017, which gives you a bit of a clue. It was an April Fool's joke, but Coke was absolutely inundated, right, with orders online. Uh, they, uh, I think, ran one of the best hoaxes of all time. Now today, uh, millions of people around the world stop and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As Greg Sheridan said in his article in the Australian newspaper yesterday, uh, the resurrection nearly 2,000 years ago is the pivotal event in human history. Uh, Sheridan, along with Christians all around the world, says that this is the most extraordinary event in the history of humanity. So is it that, or is it the biggest hoax? See, it's got to be one or the other. Uh, you can't have it, have it both ways. What I want to do for a few moments is look at Mark chapter 16, uh, consider why it's not a hoax, but also take some time to think about why it actually is so extraordinary. Okay, so let's, let's tuck into Mark 16. It's in the leaflet printed out for you if you got that, or if you got a Bible, you can just flip open. It'll be really handy though to have it open in front of you. When we come to the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, unlike the death of Jesus, it is stunning. That is, you expect people to die, you expect someone like Jesus to be killed. We're not surprised, it's quite ordinary. The resurrection, on the other hand, is an extraordinary event, a unique event, and therefore it causes us to stop and to think. And often uh, 21st century people have looked back on 1st century people who were there witnessing what occurred, and they think that they were unsophisticated or, or gullible. And therefore, from our perspective 2,000 years later, we look back and we say, well, it's not surprising that these simple folk would have lapped up the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. Whereas we, in the 21st century, we have greater scientific insight, we have a great understanding of phys physiology, we know that dead people don't rise from the dead. So if we were there, we wouldn't have been conned by what happened. That's often the way in which it's portrayed. But here's the thing. People in the first century, they knew that dead, dead people didn't rise. Right? They actually they actually knew that that was the case. They weren't that stupid, really. Like, they got it. And in fact, I suspect that they got it better than we do. Because in the first century, you would have been much more familiar with death than what we are in the 21st century. So in the 21st century, we hide death behind hospital walls or in crematoriums or, you know, we we cushion ourselves from the realities of death. But friends, in the first century, they came face to face with death on a daily basis. And even as you read through Mark chapter 15 and 16, or heard it read just a few minutes ago, when Jesus died, everyone who was connected with Jesus thought he was dead, right? They thought he was dead, dead. Uh, they didn't think he was going to do anything about that. They just assumed that that was it. Back in Mark chapter 15, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, who was obviously a fan of Jesus, he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body so he could 
bury it. Uh, Pilate, when he got that request, he was surprised because he was expecting it would take longer for Jesus to die. So what he did was he called the centurion in who'd been supervising the execution. Now, the centurion was an expert in death, a a bit like a a modern-day coroner, except he actually caused the death as well, right? But he he was an expert in knowing when people were dead. That was his job. He was paid to know. And in fact, unlike a coroner, if he got it wrong, he would lose his life if he made a mistake about the execution of one of the people in his care. Chapter 15, verse 45, the centurion confirmed that Jesus was dead. Now, there were other friends around the cross at the time, other people who witnessed that Jesus died, and they knew he was dead because they'd watched him die. We've got chapter 15, verse 40, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, uh, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They're the same three who turn up at the tomb on the Sunday morning. And the reason they come to the tomb on the Sunday morning is to embalm the body of Jesus. The reason they've come to embalm the body of Jesus is because he is dead, right? They know he is dead. But, This is despite the fact that these friends have been told by Jesus time and time and time again that he was going to rise from the dead. And we would have worked that out if we'd listened to uh, Peter speaking as opposed to just watching him do actions on the screen, right? That that is, they've been told Jesus was going to rise. Back in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, this is what Jesus said. He taught them that he must be killed and after three days, rise again. Or if we went to Mark chapter 9, verse 31, read there, they will kill me, Jesus said, and after three days, I will rise. Or Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, he again says, three days later, after his death, I will rise. So why didn't they believe what Jesus had predicted. And they didn't. These friends turn up at the grave because they think he's dead. Why didn't they all turn up at the grave? Just on the off chance, just the remote possibility that these things he'd been saying about his resurrection actually came to pass. Well, the reason they didn't is because they knew, like we know, dead people do not rise from the dead. Right? They got it. They actually were very clear about that. They had no experience of it happening in their life. They also had no um, uh, religious category that indicated it was the case either. Uh, the Greeks of the first century, they believed that when you died, your body rotted. And what happened was your soul would soar away from the body. And they actually better off escaping from your physical body, right? That was a much better thing to do. So the Greeks didn't even want a resurrected body. They were against the idea. The Jews, on the other hand, they had an idea that at the end of the age, there'd be a renewing of all things, right? That's sort of a a restoration of things. But they also had no concept of individuals being raised from the dead. You see, first century people we're no no more convinced about the resurrection of people from the dead than 21st century people, 
exactly the same. So what what convinced them? What convinced them? Well, in Mark's gospel, they turn up to the graveside, the women, considering how they get the rock that was blocking the grave, get that stone out of the way so they could get in and embalm the body. Then in chapter 16, verse 4, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they thought, Jesus must be risen from the dead. No, that's, that's not the thing you think of. My, I was there when my father died. He was about 74 years of age. And I was within 15 minutes, I was on the scene at the Bowls Club where he collapsed, had a heart attack and died. Uh, I witnessed his death. Five days later, we turned up uh, for uh, the funeral service. Now, let me say, if the funeral director had come out to me at the start of the service and said, look, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Harrington, we can't find the body. Right? The first thought that wouldn't have occurred to me was, Dad's risen from the dead. Okay, That wouldn't have occurred to me. Right? But these women, they turn up, they see the stones rolled away, and they go in, they see a young guy in a white robe, and we're told they're very scared. This is what the guy says. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen he is not here. Jesus was crucified. Yep, they got that. They saw it. They felt it. Jesus is risen. No, actually, we don't get that. We have no experience of that. That doesn't happen. And because if they had believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, they wouldn't have been there in the first place. In chapter 14, verse 28 of Mark's gospel, Jesus is speaking to his friends and it's within hours of his death. And he said to them, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, Galilee was two to three days journey north of Jerusalem. So if they believed Jesus was going to rise from the dead, where would they have been? It would have been in Galilee because that's where Jesus said he was going to be after he was raised from the dead. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. Why then Jerusalem? Because dead people don't rise. Do you get the picture as you go through this? Are they gullible? No. And in verse 7 of chapter 16, they're told again, He's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Could have been a bit embarrassing, actually. You know, the, uh, they turn up with all the embalming elements, and the angel says, Jesus told you he was going to rise from the dead. And you can almost see them thinking, whoa, where do we hide the embalming elements? You know, like it's, it is a little embarrassing. But Mark here finishes his story with the women rushing away from the tomb, scared. There's actually an absence of the body, really, when you get get to the end of Mark's gospel. But the assurance that they will see him. And they did. 
If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament, there are actually hundreds of people who saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. But women here are, are named. It's so that it could be verified, the story afterwards, by people actually chatting to them because the account would have been produced in their lifetime. The other Gospels speak about the occasions when his disciples actually met the risen, physically resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and could touch him and eat with him and encounter him and speak with him. Uh, There are other accounts that just give you the evidence uh, for Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, can I say, I was 20 years old before I came to the conclusion that Jesus had been raised from the dead. I was at university and... uh, yeah, here was my situation. When I thought about Easter, I thought the Easter bunny, like the kids at the front, chocolate, 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 right? You know, and uh, that was less important to me at 20 years of age. And then, um, uh, yeah, in terms of Jesus, I thought the Easter bunny and Jesus were both basically on the same page, both myth. And it wasn't until someone actually sat down with me and read through the accounts like the one that we've read this morning And then I investigated the veracity of the New Testament accounts, uh, considered other history that corroborated what was said before I became convinced that Jesus, in fact, did rise from the dead. When we read the New Testament, this is not myth. This is not stories made up. Uh, It has the, the ring of truth and verifiability about it. Right, you can you can actually rely on the accounts in the New Testament. No hoax. But let me just flip uh, for a second, because what I want to do is talk about the impact of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Remember Sue at the front talking to the kids. Yeah, I get the fact that he died for sin, but why did he rise from the dead? Why is that such a significant sort of thing? I want to ask that question. Can I say that the resurrection of Jesus is more than a spectator sport? Uh, this afternoon at Adelaide Oval, there'll be 50-odd thousand people who crowd in uh, to watch the Crows to see if they can stumble over the line for their second victory of the year. You know, perhaps more importantly to see Eddie Betts, you know, play his 300th game. But then they'll, they'll cheer, they'll get excited, and then they'll go home, right? It's sort of a done deal once that happens. Can I say, with the resurrection, you can't actually say, nice one, Jesus, and go home. You don't get that sort of option. Let me talk about a few key things. Firstly, the resurrection is not safe. It's not safe. Now, that may seem a strange thing to say, but but I want to focus your attention again on the women's reaction. When they're told that Jesus has been raised from the dead, the friend that they'd spent years with, the one they were close to, what what would you expect the reaction to be? Uh, I'd be thinking just a little bit of excitement or maybe a a bit of joy, uh, maybe a window of possibility opening up. But notice what does happen. Chapter 16, verse 8. Trembling and bewildered the women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid or or literally they were terrified terrified at this news now can i say that as you read through mark's gospel 
What you discover quite frequently is people are quite terrified in the presence of Jesus. Quite terrified. Back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are out on a boat in a very substantial lake and a lake that was prone to sudden storms sweeping across it. His disciples are hardened fishermen and a storm sweeps in and the disciples are scared out of their wits because they're certain they're going to drown. And they beg Jesus to do something about it. And Jesus stands up in the boat and he speaks to the storm like it's a pet dog. He says, quiet, be still. And we're told that the wind just died down and it was completely still. Now, the disciples' reaction at that time, Mark chapter 4, verse 41, we're told they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Do do you get the point? See, what's scarier, to be in a storm where you think you're going to lose your life and drown, or to be in a boat with a guy who can stop it? They're just sort of, they sit back and they're just in awe and just a bit scared about being in the presence of Jesus. Do you get the point? Death, with its unstoppable power, death with its inevitable inertia, death which will eventually run over the top of every single person in this room. That's the reality. And Jesus defeats it. And it just speaks to the extraordinary and absolute power of God. And when you understand that, that's meant to send shivers up your spine. Second implication, I think, as we look at the resurrection is that it assures us of the fact that we can be forgiven. Uh, I want to take you to the most beautiful line, I think, in Mark's gospel, which occurs here in Mark chapter 16. The messenger from God uh, says to the women at the tomb, Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Isn't that an interesting phrase? His disciples and Peter. I thought Peter was one of the disciples. Of course he was one of the disciples. So why the special mention? If we go back a couple of chapters in Mark's Gospel uh, to Mark chapter 14, it's just hours before Jesus' death and he has an interaction with Peter as he's going to the cross. Listen in to what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus said, I I tell you the truth, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, never disown you. And then later that night, 
after Jesus has been arrested. Peter's outside uh, the spot where Jesus is being questioned and, and tried, just sitting with a crowd watching. Again, uh, Mark chapter 14. When the servant girl saw Peter there, she said to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, those standing near Peter said to him, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. And Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man you're talking about. Then immediately, the rooster crowed the second time, and then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows two times, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment we deserve for turning our back on the Lord Jesus Christ, turning our back on God. And Jesus promised that he would rise from the dead. But friends, if he didn't rise from the dead, then the promise of forgiveness is just an empty dream. Uh, but he did rise from the dead. And forgiveness is real. Now, can I say, I, I don't know uh, your sin and failure. I can't look into your heart. I don't know the guilt uh, that you carry or the reasons behind that. But can I say the resurrected Lord Jesus does? And he doesn't just say, and Peter. He says, and you. Whatever your sin, uh, can I say that Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive you today? Friends, this, this is the most extraordinary weekend in the history of the world, the one that we remember over these three days. Uh, some years ago, I had the, the opportunity to go on a bit of a trip to New Zealand with the family. And I remember going to the Franz Joseph Glacier on the South Island. This is, is basically, the glacier is, is essentially a, um, a river of ice fueled by snow from the mountains that just sort of pumps it and pushes it forward. And when I was there, this glacier was on the move down, down the sort of river. And it was the first time I think I can ever remember seeing geography happen in my presence. And it was quite overwhelming. I'm not a great nature lover, uh, but I felt so small when I witnessed what was going on. I got to walk up uh, on one side very close to the glacier. It was probably, I reckon, maybe five, four or five times bigger than that wall over there, this wall of ice that was just there. I wasn't walking in front of it. That would have been dumb, but to one side as I saw what was going on. And you could hear this... Uh, this river of ice as it sort of scraped its way across the river floor 
could actually hear the rumbling and you could hear the ice cracking as it moved moved along, even though it was doing it very slowly. And while I was watching, uh, an ice block fell off the front. It was as big as a house. (laughs) It was just overwhelming. Death uh, is a bit like that glacier. It is just so unstoppable, so powerful, inexorable. But I want to say to you, Jesus has defeated the unstoppable force by rising from the dead. And you will see him. You will see him. That's what the women heard as they were at the tomb. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, as he told you. And they did see him. But can I say, you will see him too? Every single person here will see the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we're given this promise from God. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every person here will be raised from the dead and you will have to give account to Jesus. Now, can I ask you, how does that make you feel? Maybe when you hear that, you feel just a little bit insecure, unsettled. And if that's the case, uh, you need to sort that out. Uh, this reality of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, you will face him. It is true, it is real, and you'll have to give account for whether you've trusted in him or not. And there are steps you can take. Um, When I was 20 years old trying to work it out, I sat down with someone who was a follower of Jesus who just went through uh, the Bible with me to help me understand what it was saying, the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection for the first time. It was enormously helpful. I heard Mike say the other day that they've got uh, the word one-to-one, which is just a sort of an organised way of doing that. If you'd like to sit down with someone, think it through, there are people here who'd love to do that with you. Uh, If you feel uncertainty about the reality of Jesus' resurrection and its implications for you, you ought to do something about it. Uh, You ought to get to a point where you actually turn away from failing to treat Jesus properly and ask for his forgiveness. That's what you ought to do. But on the other hand, maybe uh, the knowledge that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and I suspect for most of us here, just fills you with extraordinary joy and confidence. Uh, Because it's like a a window has opened up to eternity because you've trusted in Jesus. Uh, Some of you were asking me on Friday about Sue, my wife. And many of you probably don't know, but Sue was diagnosed with lymphoma last September. Uh, She'd been tired for some time, did a blood test. The blood test showed she had lymphoma. And so she's been in a process of being treated for that Uh, with chemotherapy and other sorts of uh, treatment over the last six months. And it's getting towards the end of that uh, right now. Now, can I say no one likes that sort of sickness? No one likes, I've never met anyone who likes taking chemo 
well, the side effects are associated with that. I know there are a number in this room who've been through it themselves. But here's the thing that's been striking for me as I've lived with Sue over this time. Uh, she has been so settled and at peace, uh, even going through this sickness. Now, the doctors are actually quite optimistic about where it's going. Uh, but Sue's optimism isn't actually grounded in the medical staff, even though they're very good. Uh, but people have said to her, you know, how long are you likely to live? And she said, well, I, I don't know, actually. It's a bit outside my pay grade, you know. <laughs> I, and it's actually outside the doctor's pay grade as well. Uh, but what has been brought home to her... Uh, is the reality that because she has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, she actually is going to live forever. Uh, she'll die. Everyone here will die. But she knows that she is just as secure now as she was the day before she got the diagnosis because she has the same Heavenly Father who loves and cares for her and who actually has absolute authority over everything in this world and who has provided his son who gave his life for her and then rose to life so that she is secure now and for all eternity. Now, friends, that is something to celebrate and to be secure in. This weekend, friends, we, we acknowledge it is the most extraordinary weekend in the history of our world. Jesus has beaten death and he offers security and eternal life for everyone who puts their trust in him. And that, that my friends, is something extraordinary and certainly worth celebrating. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is not some carefully orchestrated con or hoax. Um, thank you that we see the vulnerability of his close followers around that event. Uh, it was just so outside their wheelhouse in terms of understanding the events that occur in this world. Father, we thank you that they became convinced because they actually came face to face with the risen Lord Jesus Christ and confident about the promises he has secured by his death and resurrection. And Father, we ask that as we stand here 2,000 years later, but with the same risen Lord Jesus ruling in this world, that will also have confidence about forgiveness and about life with you uh, that will not be blocked by death. And Father, we thank you that in your great love and mercy you've reached into our lives and into this world to secure us and we pray that our trust will be in your Son and we ask it in his name. Amen.